Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Good morning, Downtown Hope. My name is Joey. I have the gift of serving our church as lead pastor. And uh, welcome to 2021, the first gathering of the year. So glad you're joining us online. So excited in the days to come as we open up space to meet face-to-face. Our elder team is gathering later on this afternoon to talk and discuss about those plans. And we're just excited. It's been a a challenging 2020. It was a hard year, but we're excited about what is to come. Uh, If you are part of our church, you know over the last couple of weeks we've been mourning and grieving the death of a dear brother in our church named Jason Leidner, and we're standing with his wife, Sarah, and his children, and we just want to continue to lift them up in prayer and just trust that Jesus is working even in the midst of a difficult season. I'm excited to kick off a two-week series, a Real Talk series that's on our vision, uh, Gospel Transformation. We talk about it a lot. It's the idea of real substantial, lasting, meaningful, identifiable change, transformation that happens in the life of a believer through the good news of Jesus. That's what we believe as a church. That's our vision, is that Jesus has come from heaven to earth to change the world, to change our lives, to rescue us from sin, to rescue us ultimately from death, to be with him forever. And as our lives are being transformed by this gospel of grace, What starts to happen is we see the flourishing and the thriving, the transformation of people's lives in our lives, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and we're stepping more and more into this new life that we have in Christ. And the next two weeks, we want to focus on one area of prayer. And so I'm going to be leading us this week and and just walking us through Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 15 to 23. Uh, the, The passage will be on the screen Thank you for joining us. Invite friends and family to join us as well as we gather week to week online here. And uh, let me read this passage, pray, and then we're going to walk through this together. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule, and authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And this is God's living, precious word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you that you meet us even through technology. You meet us as we gather across our city, across our area. And our prayer this morning is bold, that you would touch us, every person who's watching this, every person who's listening to this, that your spirit would invade the inner crevices of their life, my life here. Lord, I feel tired. It's been an exhausting few weeks. Many of us are feeling that way. And yet you are present with us to give us strength and power. And so we look out to this new year. We ask that you would speak powerfully illuminating your word to our hearts for real change. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The definition of the word Zoom changed in 2020. It changed for the world. We don't think about it now as a shot of a close-up shot and a zoomed-out shot or a quick change, a Zoom We've all become Zoom professionals through the way that we connect and communicate with each other through video online, through Zoom. There's other ways to connect as well, but Zoom seems to be the verb that describes, when can we Zoom? Do you want to Zoom? It's a word whose definition has changed, and, and, and what we found with Zoom, what we got to know and what we become professionals is of Zoom etiquette. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a little tired of Zoom etiquette. But I found uh, this funny list. Uh, I mean, it's not actually not a funny list. It's actually an actual list that was made. I, I found it humorous myself. So here are some of the things that we have to do when we're on Zoom. Many of you can relate to this. You have to mute yourself. Of course, when you go into the room, it's incredibly improper to not have yourself muted as you go into the Zoom room. Secondly, be on time. I didn't know why that was specific to Zoom. I think that's just common sense. It's not necessarily common in my life, but it's common sense if you're going to be going to a meeting, be on time. Turn on the video. That's always the awkward moment, isn't it? Like so-and-so is on the line, but they're not showing their video. And why is that? Is it because they're doing something completely different than being fully present in the meeting? Uh, are they feeling a little bit strange about how they're looking? Maybe they didn't take a shower like most of us aren't taking showers in the morning through COVID-2020 or 2019. You know, it's true. It's okay. We can laugh about that. Um, here's another one. Come prepared. Sit still. That never happens for me. I mean, I'm constantly just, you know, always thinking and, 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 and twitching around with things on Zoom calls. Uh, it's hard to stay focused in front of a video for so long, uh, so much of our lives in 2020 in meetings. Be respectful. You certainly don't want to offend people in the Zoom meeting. Find a quiet place so there's not distractions behind, and we've all seen the memes, and we've all seen the videos of, 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 of family members and children photobombing uh, Zoom meetings. Raise your hand to talk. Uh, don't always do that. I usually just interrupt. And lastly, and this one I break all the time, no eating. 
I had no idea that was Zoom etiquette. Um, fail, just want to admit that and confess that right now. I will, uh, I'd love to eat while I'm talking with people on Zoom. But there's one really frustrating thing about Zoom for me, and it's been this way from the beginning, and it's that in the middle of a call or in the middle of a video, I will not be able to hear the other people in the, in the call. I won't be able to, I'll be able to see them, or I'll, uh, but I, I just can't hear what they're saying. And then like 30 seconds later, I get this memo on the screen of my computer and it says this, your connection is unstable. Your connection is unstable is what it says. It's like, yeah, I know that because I couldn't hear people for the last 30 seconds. But thanks for telling me now. So I just have to guess at the moment when my internet connection is unstable and thank you, Zoom, for telling me that that's what's going on. Now, I don't know about you, but, but let me just walk you through the last three months of the life of our church. Some of us know these things. Some of us, for some of us, this is new to us. If you're listening in or watching in for the first time, we, we, I want you to know this because I want you to understand the story and the journey that we've been on. Our church isn't unique in this. There's others that have experienced hardship, but our leadership specifically has faced a lot of hardship over the last three months. You know, in September... Our executive pastor, dear brother David Bempong, his mother passed away. It was tragic. It was so sad. Then in October, Todd and Amy Smith, Todd serves on our elder team as well, their son Judah became deathly ill. Thankfully, thank God he's recovering miraculously. In November, Charlie Fowler, who also serves on our elder team, had a heart attack. Thankfully, he's recovering. And Luke Harbaugh, another... uh, guy who serves on our elder team, his sister got diagnosed with stage four cancer all in November. In December, I flew home from England and the first week back, my father-in-law, Katie's dad, has a heart attack, thankfully recovering. A week later, December 17th, Jason Leidner, dear leader, dear brother in our church, unexpectedly dies. The next day, My family, my my daughter, myself, others are diagnosed. My son, Gio, is diagnosed with COVID. Eli Rodriguez, our operations director's son, has to get, Mateo has to get airlifted to Johns Hopkins. Thankfully, he's recovering. Another member in our body, Nate Muncie, the same day had to be rushed to an emergency room. Thankfully, he was released and recovering. And this doesn't account for the many in our church and outside of our church who have gone through hardship over the last three months. In a moment when a body, when a family goes through trials, there is this question that emerges. How is our connection? Is it stable or is it unstable? Because in crisis, connectivity is absolutely vital. How is the connection with one another going? In the, in the midst of hardship and trial? How is the connection with the God they worship, maybe somebody on the outside looking at our church would say? How, how, how is their connection with the Lord in the trial and the hardship? And that's the question for us this morning, I believe. And you've come through 2020, and I've come through 2020. 
And we've experienced the pain and the frustration and the loss. And the question is, what will 2021 hold? And we don't know the answer to that question. But in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul lands in the city of Ephesus. And, and, he, and he lands with trial. There's a riot. But he makes this announcement to the city concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died on a cross, was raised from the dead, and is now wreaking havoc in the world. A new life, he claims. A new kingdom has come, he claimed. A new world order, a new humanity is upon us, Jesus claimed. And Paul was one of his followers. And the new life of Christ had gotten into him. And there were a few in Ephesus who, who, who believed this message, who believed the way of Jesus, who turned from their sin, who, who identified him as Lord, and they gave their allegiance to him. And now years later, Paul is writing not only to them, but also to Jesus communities that are scattered all throughout Asia Minor, all throughout that region, because Ephesians, if you know, is a circular letter. It was a letter that's, uh, that was written not only to Ephesus, but to the other cities and the other churches in that area. And Paul, the writer, the friend to, his, to, to the people of Ephesus and, and who will read this letter, he has one thing on his heart as he starts this letter. He wants to ensure that their connection is stable. He wants to make sure that, that the connection that they have with Jesus is so strong and he wants to ensure that his friends, that he has not met face to face, know for certain in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their 60, 80, 20, 20, as we might say, that's when he wrote it, that their connection to heaven was stable. And he does this by beginning his letter in the first 14 verses, not the passage I read, but the verses before it. And I just want to go through this briefly because it's so important. It lays the, the context and the foundation and the background for the riches that we're going to discover in verses 15 through 23. In the first 14 verses, it's one run-on sentence in Greek. It's actually the single most worn-out page in my entire Bible. I come back to this chapter so often. And I want you to as well. Without taking a breath, Paul pens a praise rant to God for the treasure trove of resources that has been given to us, to his friends in Christ. He says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says in verse 4, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. He says at the end of verse 4 and into verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoptions as sons. We've been engulfed and enveloped and brought into his family. He says in verse 6, this is for the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to his grace, which he lavished upon us. I mean, think of the, the language here. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things together in him, whether on earth or in heaven. 
He says in verse 11, in him we have an inheritance. We've been predestined according to his purpose. The one who works all things out according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then verse 13, in him, when you heard the word of truth, remember he's writing to his friends here. The gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him, he says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance that we might take possession of it. Again, he repeats, to the praise of the glory of God. Put these to memory. Meditate on this truth. In times of trial, In times of hardship, we have to be reminded of who we are in Christ. That our identity is not rooted in this world, but is rooted in the heavens and what Christ has done for us and how he loved us and how he loves us. And you would think at the end of these verses, Paul might say, you know what, you got it? You got it? Did you read it? Do you understand it? Do you theoretically get this? Is the connection stable? Good. I'm glad. You've got it. Great job. On to my next point. But, but he doesn't do that. He actually changes the genre of his writing. He shifts to prayer. And he takes the truth that has just been spoken over his, that he has just spoken over his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he burrows it into them. He plunges it into them through prayer. He prays for them. And what does he pray? And what he prays is that the truth that he's just spoken to them would be received by them. He prays that their connection to their heavenly Father, would be stabilized. That there would be a deep stabilization, a deep connection. What this passage is, verses 15 through 23, that we're going to walk through, is a prayer that stabilizes the connection that we have in Christ. It's a prayer that is birthed in community. It's a prayer that's prayed for intimacy. And it's a prayer to ignite vision of hope and riches and power. And so first, verse 15 and 16, it's a prayer that's birthed in community. For this reason, Paul says, another way to translate this is, because of everything that God has done in your life, look at the first 14 verses. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus in your love towards the saints because of your trust and your identification with Christ. And not only your love for Jesus, but because of your love for the people of Jesus, your brothers and sisters, not only in Ephesus, but scattered all around. Paul says, I know you. I may not know you personally. He didn't know everybody who's reading this letter personally, but he had heard the stories of the kind of community, of the kind of connection that his friends had with Christ. He says, I know who you are. I see you. I don't know everybody who's watching this video. I don't know everybody who tunes in. 
It's been so long since we've all been able to gather in person together. It won't be much longer before we have a chance to do more of that. But it doesn't matter because if you're watching this and if you're part of this local church, you're my brother and sister in Christ. We're together. And Paul was saying this to his friends. He's heard of their faith. He's heard of their love. And then he says this in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. He's about to unleash a prayer over their lives. And it is birthed. It is formed in community. The way that that we might pray for one another into 2021. The way that we know how to pray for one another is not magic. It's because we're with each other. It's because we talk with each other. It's because we mourn with each other. It's because we stand with each other. It's because we walk through life with one another. That's where our prayers come from for one another. And Paul says, I can't stop thanking God for you. Whenever he prays, he says, I don't cease I never stop giving thanks for you. This is Colossians 1.19. The double negative here should be read as emphatic. He says, I always do this. There's not a time when Paul prays that he doesn't think about his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. Is there not a time that you pray when you don't think of your brothers and sisters in downtown Hope and your brothers and sisters in Christ and other churches and other believers spread across the world? Paul says, when I pray to God, I mention you. I speak to the Father about you. I'm in intimate dialogue and conversation with him. I'm listening to him. I'm talking to him. And I'm talking to him about you. I woke up when I was in England at 3 a.m. The elder team can share with you the strange video that I sent them. and the guy, They were just on my heart. And I just had to wake up and put a video together and tell them I was praying for them. I knew they had been going through this hardship. I don't even know if the prayer was coherent. I don't even know if the video was coherent. It didn't matter. It was, a, it was an act of obedience. Is this the kind of way that we pray for one another as a church? 2021 for us as a body is going to be a year of prayer. It's one of our strategic goals. It's one of the things we've talked about as a team. In fact, our entire, uh, all of our community group leaders, all of our ministry team, we, we, we asked them earlier in the year, what, is, what are the things that we need to focus on this year? And, and there was a thread that came up from our leaders, men and women, prayer, prayer. We want to be a church that prays. And it's out of community. It's out of our connection with one another that the prayers that God would put on our heart to pray are informed, that we understand what is his desire, what is his will that we pray. It comes out of community. It came out of community for Paul. It's when 
It's when Jason dies unexpectedly. It's the calluses and the doolins and the halls saying, we have to pray together and getting on a call together to process and pray. It's the Lomaxes in the, in the wake of hearing that Jason died saying, we, we have a vision for a prayer vigil and them sharing that with Todd and Todd, with Dana and Jen and June and others running with it and, 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 and Mike Eller using his gift of videography to capture this beautiful prayer vigil that, that, that honored Jay and brought glory to God and, and encourage Sarah in her moment of mourning. It's when Mateo is rushed to the hospital. It's the community that comes around him and shows up on, on Christmas Eve with, 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 uh, with posters outside of his, of his room in the hospital up in Baltimore. It's a kind of life that we live together where we're praying for one another. It's not just a prayer that's birthed in community for Paul. He goes on and he tells them the specific thing that he's praying for. Here's Paul's prayer for his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. Here's the prayer that we can pray over one another in 2021. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in your knowledge of him. Let me walk us through this. It's a prayer of intimacy. We see first in seven, verse 17 here, it's a Trinitarian formula. Paul is constantly talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The noun glory with reference to God always has an implicit reference to the visible manifestation among his people of God's saving power. This is God showing up in his glory to his people. This is Paul's prayer for them. That the fullness of God's glory would be displayed in their lives. This is James 1. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadow. And he says here at the end of verse, in the middle of verse 17, that this, the Holy Spirit might give us something. And what does the Holy Spirit give us? Many things the Holy Spirit gives us, but one thing we learn in this passage, that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation for the knowledge of him. Wisdom, this is insight being made known. This is an understanding of spiritual realities. This is God's truth. This is his, this, these are heavenly things. These, this is insight from another realm. And he wants our base of knowledge, our base of understanding to be primarily informed and rooted not just here in human wisdom, not just here in human intellect, but in a kind of wisdom that comes from heaven to earth. Wisdom that comes down from above, that's James 1 as well. But it's not just insight, intellect, wisdom, applied knowledge, he says he also is praying for revelation. And what is this revelation that we find here in verse 17? He says he wants us to have wisdom and revelation. That is God making himself known. That is God revealing himself. 
This is a kind of wisdom and revelation that is in something that is deeply concrete. This is the story of God who has generally revealed himself to the world and who has specially revealed himself through his scripture. And he says, I want to take, I want to pray over you that you would have wisdom and God would make himself known to you and reveal himself to you for one purpose, intimacy. Paul says it this way, in the knowledge of him. This is not theoretical, intellectual knowing. We, we know this from this word knowing in scripture. It is a kind of knowing that a husband knows his wife. It is that level of passion and intimacy and oneness. It is not just the experience of a thing, not merely an intellectual or theoretical, but that everything about your created being, everything about my created being would taste and experience and know Jesus Christ. That Christ would be be made known to us. A lot of us love to talk theology. A lot of us love to think about you know, all kinds of, 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 of biblical and theological concepts, and we wax eloquently ar- around them and about them. I do this myself often. But that's not what Paul is getting at here. That's not his prayer for his friends. The prayer that he has for his friends is that they would know the person of Jesus, that the life of Jesus, that the, the person of Jesus, the fullness of Christ would be made known to them in the same way that we know one another in person, intimately, in relationship, in relationship with Christ. Time with Him, abiding in Him, loving Him evermore. You don't just know the idea of a friend. You don't just know the idea of your spouse. You don't just know the idea of your children. You know the person. Because you've touched the person. Because you've held the person. Because you've walked alongside of the person. Because you know the person's voice. And you know the person's mannerisms. And you know the person's eyes. And you know how they react to things. And you know what they might even say before they say it because you know them that intimately and that well. And I wonder if in 2020, for some of us, the connection has become unstable. And we've drifted. It's like, oh, I I know Jesus. I remember a few years ago when I had that kind of intimate relationship with him. Man, life's been hard and life's gotten busy and I've gone through some hard stuff. And I'm not so sure about that anymore. Paul will not have it. He prays. Paul prays that they would know Christ in that way. That's my prayer for us. It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me. It's not just a prayer that's birthed in community. It's not just a prayer for intimacy. But it's a prayer of vision. We find this in the very next verse. Here's the next thing that Paul prays over his friends. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who 
believe according to the working of his great might. Paul doesn't just pray that they would be intimate with Jesus, that they would know Christ, but he prays that in the depth of their existence, in, the, in their heart of hearts, he uses this imagery, the eyes of their hearts, that their hearts would have eyes, that your heart would have eyes, that my heart would have eyes to see, that they would be enlightened, illuminated, that the light would break in and our eyes would be wide open. We would see if our connection is unstable, we would be shaken out of that. And we would see with clarity what does he want us to see? That we would know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. She's going to talk about in a second here as it relates to the resurrection. He says, I want you to see that there is an oriented future. You, my brothers and sisters in Ephesus who are under trial and hardship, you, my brothers and sisters who have gone through hardship and trial at Downtown Hope, you, watching world who have gone through hardship in 2020, there is a God who has a future, who is pointing us to that future, and Paul prays a prayer that we would see that hope to which he has called us regardless of the hard situation in front of us. Hope in Scripture always has to do with resurrection. It has to do with a future day a hope which he has called you. That's our salvation. He has summoned us. He has rescued us. He has brought us into the new life. And in that new life, we have hope. It's an it's a earth-shaking hope that he wants us to see that no matter what hardship we face, Christ is with us. And he wants us to see with eyes from our heart the hope that we have. He wants us to see the riches of his glorious inheritance in the in a, in, a, in, a, in the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He doesn't want us to see the riches of this world as a thing to be ultimately valued. He wants us to see the riches that we have in Christ. In the body of Christ, the saints. And he wants us to see the immeasurable greatness of his power. His power towards those of us who believe. There's actually four words for power in this verse 19. It's amazing. It's packed with power. And he wants us to have vision to see the immeasurable greatness of his power, not ours. And you say, well, how can this happen in our lives and this is where he ends the prayer for us. And he points us to Christ. The way all this comes together, the way this prayer can be true of us in 2021 is not out of our own strength or our own power. It's not out of our own inheritance or our own riches. It's not out of our own sort of mustered up hope that we kind of wishfully thinking have. 
It's not out of our own intimacy that we conjure up. It's not out of our own community that we try to cultivate ourselves. It all comes back. It is rooted in the person of Jesus. He says in verse 20, Christ, this power, he worked when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And then Paul gives us a nosebleed. He lifts our eyes. He says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And this is what David and myself and our elder team and our leaders are concerned with. I am not concerned with trial. Trials come. We know Jesus was clear on that. In this life, you will face troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Troubles are not a strange thing. That's 1 Peter 4.12. 2021 could be a lot harder than 2020. I don't know what will happen. You don't know what will happen. It could get a lot harder. That's not my concern for our body. That's not my concern for you. The concern is that we would be found deeply connected in the vine. That our connection to Jesus would be so stable and so secure that no matter what we face, we would be found in him. And this prayer would be true of our lives. What is it that will mark the story of your life this year? What is it that will mark the story of our lives as a church in 2021? I'm asking, will the connection be stable or unstable? And I can tell you what our plan is. I'm not saying it's the plan that will happen. But I can tell you what we are going to pursue with all of our hearts. Out of the deep resource that Paul prayed over his brothers and sisters here, out of this deep resource that we're going to pray over one another this year, out of the connectivity in Jesus that we have, we are going to run to him. And we're going to love our city. And we're going to love one another And we're going to seek the flourishing of the people in our city. We were on a call just last week with the director of Hakka who reached out to our church and other churches in our area and said, we need help. People are getting evicted. Can you come alongside? There is glorious opportunity before us as a church. There are needs in our own body. We are going to stay more connected than we ever have. If anything, the hardship over the last three months has done is it's brought us closer in many ways, even in the midst of distance, and we're going to build upon that. We're going to lay our lives down for the most in need and the most vulnerable with the touch and the words of the gospel. And we're going to begin creating spaces to gather again in person, in this space, in our homes. And we're going to continue what we've been doing for the last 12 years as a church, as a body, as a family as living stones. And we are going to continue to knock on the gates of hell and proclaim that the agenda of hell will not 
prevail against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he has a mission in the world. And it's been his mission since he proclaimed in in Luke chapter 4 to proclaim freedom to the captives, to lead people into freedom from the train. And his mission, the mission that Jesus Christ has, has a church. It has a people. It has a body. It has a bride. There's so many beautiful metaphors in Scripture for the people of Jesus. And we are an expression of his church. And Jesus himself says, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is why Paul prays this prayer over the church. And that's why he wraps his prayer up in the power of Christ. And Christ is head of the church and his body and his fullness who fills all in all. And we're going to do it this year through prayer. We are going to pray like we've never prayed before. We are going to seek the Lord. We're going to grow in deeper intimacy with him. We're going to grow in deeper community with one another. And the eyes of our hearts are going to be open to see the glory and the beautiful promises of the riches that we have in Christ. Our elder team meets every Monday to pray for you. We pray for you. We're going to continue to pray for you. Mikey Brewer Jr. and Abby, an incredible team leading our prayer ministry. They have vision for prayer. They have vision to equip our leaders and our communities to be places of prayer. We pray together in our community groups. May we be a people of prayer this year. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Lord, thank you for inspiring Paul to not just lay out this rich gospel truth, but to have him pray it into, over, in the people of Ephesus. And we receive this prayer into our lives. And we pray that you would do that. That we, as we pray, we would remember one another without ceasing. We would always remember one another in our prayers. And we pray, Lord, that through wisdom and revelation, Lord, we would know you with deeper and more meaningful and powerful intimacy. And we pray, I pray, Lord, that the hearts of my brothers and sisters of downtown Hope would be enlightened And they would see the hope to which they have been called and the riches of the inheritance that they have and the power that comes from you. You raised Christ from the dead. We pray for 2021 in these early days. We pray for a deep, stable, rock-solid connection with you. We would hear from you We would walk with you. We would learn from you. We would abide in you. And we would be a people that would be marked by you. And the watching world around us would see not us, but they would see you. So shake us out of our complacency. Shake us out of our COVID etiquette. Shake us out of our laziness. 
Shake us out of our apathy. And may your light shine brightly into our hearts that we might see what you see. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.